Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We are back in the studio for episode 38 with our special guest, Lisa Marie Garcia. And the title of today's episode is Leadership Wisdom, what it means to be a people-first leader. Do you want to grow your people, but you struggle with the how? Are you uncertain about what it takes to lead with a people-first mindset? Are you ready to amp up your people impact and leadership? Well, you're in the right spot today because our special guest, Lisa Marie Garcia, is going to cover this question and many others as we explore all things about people-first leadership. Lisa is currently the COO of Now Publishing, a really unique book publishing and marketing business that helps authors write their books and, most important, market and sell them. She's a former tech CEO. In fact, Lisa founded one of the first telecommunications professional service firms in the United States when she was 27 years old. She sold that business, and now she's moved into publishing. She's also an author of several books, a devoted mom to two teenage daughters, and a follower of Jesus. So listen is as we share ideas together on growing, inspiring, and empowering your team. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life we have a very special guest, a new friend of mine, Lisa Marie Garcia, here in the Tampa Bay area. So we are neighbors, but we've never met yet in person. Guess why? Uh, five letters, COVID. <laughs> but we had a great conversation a few weeks ago, and I was so fascinated by Lisa's history and what she's you know, transitioned from, but more importantly, the way she's showing up in a, in a leadership role now with um, an organization called Now Publishing. And as an author myself, and having been through this four different times, I know a little bit about publishing, and they are truly doing something unique in publishing. And so it's a little about publishing, but it's really about leadership and innovation. She's got some great special projects going on. I know we're going to talk about a new um, project for now publishing. Called, it's a book called The Top 25 Changemakers, How Florida Entrepreneurs Thrive During Difficult Times. So I know we're going to have a lot to talk about. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, yeah, Craig. Welcome. I'm excited to chat with you both. So Lisa, give us a little bit of the, the Lisa Marie Garcia story that brings us here today. Well, thanks for asking. And it's funny when you say Lisa Marie Garcia. So I was always Lisa Marie in high school. Then, of course, when I went to college and became an adult, I said, oh, I'm Lisa Garcia. And then I was married for a while, so I was Lisa Byrne. But when I came to Tampa Bay and I wrote my book, uh, the first business book, Never Drink Coffee During a Business Meeting, <laughs> and start, my Starbucks uh, cup is on the cover there because Starbucks was one of my, one of my clients, uh, my publisher said, what are you going with? Are you going to go with Lisa Marie Garcia and make that decision as you know, Jeff is an author, whatever decision you make to go with as your byline, stick with it. So I'm happy to be back to what I was uh, born with Lisa Marie Garcia. So 
and there's maybe a useless or useful story, who knows? Um, so, so yeah, so just a little bit on how I got here, right, is I am a former tech CEO from Seattle. I had a company there that was really, I believe, the first telecommunications professional services firm hmm. in the U.S. At the time, I was 27. I was a former IBM engineer that got a project, left IBM, and they called me back as a subcontractor. So my first company um, was really, really birthed in a, a non, you know, a roundabout way. I didn't set out to start the company, but IBM offered me the opportunity and I took it. So moving here then seven years ago as a vice president of technology for a client out in Oldsmar on Cisco technology, Cisco platform technology, thought my days of owning a business were over. That only lasted for actually, now that I think about it, probably about six months uh, somewhere in there where I was one of the co-founders of Now Publishing. So now for a little over five years, uh, we've, I've been uh, at the lead as COO of our Now Publishing group um, before COVID, uh, located downtown Tampa Bay. Wow. So what kind of books do you focus on at Now Publishing? So we, from the beginning, when I was a co-founder the first year, we really did not necessarily say we're going to go for one genre versus the other. Mm -hmm. And actually what ended up happening is I got a ton of children's book authors uh, coming <laughs> okay. to me, right? So be careful if you don't ask for something, maybe yeah. is the lesson there. Um, but we, I was very deliberate in knowing that I couldn't be speaking to someone across the table and they would ask me the question of how many books have you published and saying I had some kind of dismal number of like 10. So for the first couple of years, it was really all about as, uh, as many books as we could publish in a quality way, but also I wanted us to be able to have that strength in all genres. So mm -hmm. we actually publish in all genres. I will say we have our first poetry slash client. So that will mm -hmm. put us in that genre, which is a very difficult genre to be in. But right now, uh, for the last um, year and a half, we focus on business brand books. Okay. Yep. So, I love it. Lisa, I want to talk, ask a little bit more about the publishing, but give us a little flavor of, you spent pretty much your entire career in technology, leadership roles, ownership roles, and now publishing. Right. So, what translates over and what was some of the big shifts in making what I consider a pretty big industry change? It's definitely a big industry change, but the business of it is exactly the same because my, my business before BICR technology company was professional services, right? Mm -hmm. So where I might have a client like the university of Tennessee was a client of mine um, for years or for a couple of years and Henry Ford health system, big enterprise type businesses, but basically, I mean, they were paying some big money for our professional services. So it was all about that. Publishing is exactly that. The only difference is I do have a widget, you know, to sell at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, I call it a widget. I never had a widget before to sell, but it is the professional services that we do. It is the, you yeah. know, client facing skills that we have to have, the project management services that we have to have, the, you know, client retention that we depend on, the references. I mean, that's all professional services. So although when I entered into publishing, I didn't look at it that way, it became very clear to me very early on that that's what I was doing. Everything I had done for, you know, actually it was 16 years that I brought my tech company to market, 18 by the time it folded, it, we ended it. And so, you know, for that, those 18 years are just, you know, invaluable to me in terms of, of the lessons learned and the roads I went down and how I've learned to better manage this team. Well, as an author, it's interesting because when you talk about having a widget now, my response was you sort of do in that there is a book at the end, but the services you offer now that you say that are really, you're selling the intangible. 
Mm-hmm. You're not selling the book. You're selling this process and the support for this thing that's going to be represented in something tangible, but you're yeah. really selling a lot more than it's not really a widget when you talk about your client. Yeah, no, you're right. It really what you're ta- what you keyed in on is that support. That that mm-hmm. word is many times what authors will say back to us, clients will say back to us to say, I have the support of your team. We have the support of your organization yeah. with us. You know, I'm not by myself at a, a client book signing. You know, it's the support from our client services person to our social media booking person, you know, to our, our editors, to myself. It's that support. And, and, I, and especially where, you know, we have some um, um, goals for 2021 that put us in other markets. But what is key for the authors, clients we have, and I will say we have 80% local, 20 not. Those local clients, many times they hire us or they're happy they're with us because they do, we do have a local presence with them where they feel that support. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I had a good, good experience with my publisher and uh, I, I would say it was not where I was focused on the business side at that point. That was a technical book on tablet PCs way, well before the iPad came out. Um, but that was a good experience overall, the support, the techno, you know, the technical reads and, and everything else that went into it. So we had a great product at the end, but I didn't have the business back end ready to go on top of that. And I, I understand the publishing industry is very different now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, look how, I, I can't even tell you how, how different it is from March to now, just because of the yeah. shutting, but even with beyond, you know, outside of that, and especially since I consider us a startup until we officially hit year five. So as, as a startup company, we have to be even more sensitive to what are the trends, what's happening, how can we be better in that? So yeah, the, the publishing industry, I'd say, is, is very volatile because of the changes right now in a good way for how we see it. So since you're still in really startup mode, and I love that you still see it that way, you're not just one year and now we're, into, we're an existing well-oiled machine. No. Talk about some of the challenges you faced mm-hmm. in this startup as a leader and, and more importantly, some of the solutions for those challenges. I wish I had all the solutions, but yeah, that's that, yeah. I, well, I, you're I, still here. Let's give yourself credit. Yeah. You've got enough. To, you have enough. You're still here. That's exactly right. And actually, I remember. I want to think maybe it was year two. There was someone I I admired quite a bit that I happened to hit an elevator with, and he hap- and he said these words to me. And I remember he said, you know, he said, are you are you profitable? And I said, yeah. I said we are. And I said at least covering all our fixed costs. He says, well, congratulations to you on that. You know, and I haven't thought about it that year two, but yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel successful just for that reason. But as far as, as you said, some of the, some of the challenges, you know, um, you remember the book, I'm sure the what good to great, you know, the bus and all of that. And, and, and also early in my career, in fact, I'll even tell you something that I don't know if I'm proud of, but I'll tell you now, when I was in high school, I've always been a business gal. My undergraduate degrees in business, I just love business. And when I was in high school, I actually did read, like, I love the Lee Iacocca biography. I even, this is what I might not be proud of, who knows. Um, I read the Trump book, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing about ghostwriting at that point. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I, you know, loved that. And I, I love the business part of it. But honestly, as we talk through leadership and thinking about your podcast, fantastic. Love the name too, by the way, the Impact mm-hmm. Leadership. Awesome. When you think about that, you know, for me, what comes up always is that way to manage people and not manage them, but lead them, inspire them, motivate them. Um, in fact, I just got off a of Zoom with a large uh, 
important client just a moment ago, and he was showing me these tokens that they give to their employees. And it kind of, to me, I said, and I'm somewhat a golfer. I said, oh, that looks like a great, you know, uh, what is that called now? The, um, you guys ball marker? Yeah, ball marker. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Ball marker. But basically he was saying how, and they, they have like 650 employees. They're here in Tampa. And he was talking about how, you know, it's not just about that employee of the month. It should be like 15 with that many people and how to motivate them. And, you know, the problems that someone like that, he's an executive director has with 650 people, versus the problems or issues that we have with, you know, 10 or 11 people, mm -hmm. they're really basically to the same, of the same, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it really doesn't matter small or big or really to me, tech or publishing, it really is back to those basics and, and basic true and tried fundamentals and how you handle them. Wow, I had a flashback to our very first podcast interview with uh, David Akers. And what one of the things that they do is they have like six different jars representing each of the core values of the company. And you get poker chips that you can put into each one of those jars. And so when your jar gets filled up, then you get awards and things because you're exhibiting the core values. And so it's a, it's a really good way to look at, you know, how people are doing and it's part of the culture. So very cool idea. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought about too, Craig. Yeah, because they make it very visual because yeah. they have the six jars that represent each value, but the chips are the same color as the jars. So yeah. everyone's got one on their desk. So if something's handed out and anybody can hand them out, they always do two chips, one in your jar. Oh, yeah. One in the value jar. So you can walk by the jars and say, we're doing really well in this value this month. This one's not much. So you can literally walk by a table and know how you're doing and in which value hmm. that month. That's such a cool idea. And, you know, way back, I remember this and actually talking to my father, who's, who's a business guy and someone I admire. When you start to have employee, employee issues, team issues in that, it's almost always because their values don't match your company's yeah. values, right? So Just true. Basic, basic. And I remember actually remembering that advice from him and he's 100% right. And you have to go back on that for those types of issues. And you need to go back to values uh, back to your values when you're having company directional issues or some other company not human related, it's because yes. you're not staying true to your mission, right? You're not staying true to those values 100%. Love yeah. that idea. Well, one of the things you've highlighted, maybe without knowing it, Lisa, is, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, you will see, especially in um, somewhat more institutional companies, not less necessarily super large, leaders, especially presidents and CEOs, will go from different companies to run those companies, especially if they didn't start them. You know, they're brought in and- Professional management. People, they're professional management. And a lot of people wonder, well, how can you go run a technology company, then a publishing company, <laughs> and then a distribution company? I think what they're missing is that's where leadership comes in. Because right. leadership, if you can lead a tech company, you can lead a publishing company, if you're a leader in the tech company versus- I as technical expert in that company. Right. That's a very good point. I love that because one of my favorite books, right, is Steve Jobs' book. And so was it PepsiCo, right? PepsiCo came in, led uh, Apple. Yeah. And we see that every Scott, day. Scott, or Scully. Yeah, Scully. That's right. Um, so That went well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started well. It did book, though. It, it was well, a great I know. Book. I read the book. It went well financially. It's an incredible story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was funny. My So my thing was I was on the – Blackberry, Crackberry at the time I read the book. And what I said to myself was, and everyone I knew, you know, a lot of my, my dad, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you not Mac? Why are you not Apple? And I said, yeah. okay, when I finish this book, 
then I'll go Apple. And I did. <laughs> and I don't know why I waited. Um, but it, you know, it, I guess also, I was very fortunate that when I, my very first job out of college, in fact, when I was a junior in college, I was offered the job as a software design engineer for IBM Rome Systems. So that Rome was the telecommunications company that IBM owned. But what I loved, what I was very fortunate for me was I went through some management training values through IBM. IBM is fantastic at that. Right. My, my dad was there for 26 years. Okay. So, you know, you, you know, you are from where you came, right? So I, you know, learned early on, I, and I kind of talk about it in my book too, even simple things like dressing one step above, and we all know the IBM blue and what they look like, right? But even that concept is still with me. Um, you know, there's some real basic fundamentals. And so I guess going back to what you said that, you know, can you, you know, can you captain a ship and can you fly a plane? You might not know the mechanics of it, but you right. understand being at the helm and all that involves. But that's where you surround bad. yourself with great people. Absolutely. And people that know more than you in all the different right. areas, that's the best thing you can do, right? One of the yep. best things you can do. Yeah. So, so Lisa, you've talked about already a, a topic near and dear to our heart. You know, Cartavera, one of the founding principles is about putting people first. Mm -hmm. And what we've discovered in our research and our interviews and our podcast, and I find in my coaching and speaking business, there's very few leaders, incredibly small, who don't talk that talk. <laughs> but there's very much smaller percentage who actually walk it. Yeah. And I don't think, I personally don't believe it's that complicated, but I do believe there's obstacles to it. I mean, one is, it takes, it takes intentionality. It takes time. It takes an investment in people. It takes that pause. So I'm curious for you, it sounds like something you are committed to, what kind of obstacles have you run into in staying in that people first mindset and how do you overcome them? Because I think what happened, I, I just don't want to be naive with people and say, Hey, this is easy. Mm -mm. Just do that. Treat your people well and you're good. Because mm -mm. there are obstacles to it. There is a lot, there are uh, very many obstacles. And when you, you know, to stay in a statement, what I wanted to say, how I handle both internal and external obstacles as you call it oh my goodness close your mouth so you can listen and take a breath. <laughs> yeah. honestly take and while you're doing that take a breath and and i just try to listen and kind of just go back and just try to be really hearing what they're trying to tell me because right. if you really listen to someone in a difficult situation they'll tell you what's at issue they'll tell you that you'll hear that there's something else going on in their personal life maybe that's, that's leading it, or they're really unhappy about something and the way that it resolved and they never got resolution on it. If you, you know, so that is step one. But the other thing is, and my team knows about this, I say it many times and they've seen it in me, is I think they know I'm a very thoughtful person. I like to, I tell, they know this, I'll say this statement, you know, I'm going to simmer on this. I'm going to think about it. I, ha I learned from a great mentor from IBM way back, and I, I use it and I try to mentor it many times, that you do nothing in emotion. You, do, you make no decisions in the heat of the whole conflict. You put some sleep between you and that, yes. you know, decision. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, and, you know, I haven't, I didn't, I wasn't this way in my 20s. Are you kidding me? I made <laughs> mistakes. I'm still you know, working on it. Money. I mean, I have good stories about a, a lot of money I lost because of the way that I handled yeah. things to learn now that that nothing you know and i say this too we are not you know we're not saving lives it's not life or death what we do we can be thoughtful we can you know mm. think this through and and another thing that i tend to do sometimes 
is let things play out the way they're going to play out. And I don't have to have a handy hand, heavy hand in it. Mm. You know what I mean? Sometimes there's conflicts that if you have try and, and have some wisdom and have some patience, let them play out and the person will let themselves out the door sometimes without you having, having to unlock it. So let me ask you a question about the difference between the technical side and the, the people side. Oftentimes we, we hear people say, yeah, well, I, I do the people stuff, but I have all this other stuff that I need to do. What is the job as you see it as, as CEO? Well, first of all, I would mentor anyone that would say that, and I would have that come up with technicians, right? They would say, yes. well, I can't talk to the client. I can't explain that. You can't, you really can't be a person that operates that way. I mean, we're humans. We have sometimes the client, I was a sales engineer, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for some, some big projects. Although I knew the engineering part of it, I needed to be able to talk the sales talk, right? So it was right. a different type of skill, um, you know, a different type of skill. So first of all, you know, I think as, especially today, you know, where so many, we're all client facing and we all need to in some place even face our own team members, you know, those days I think are behind us where we say, well, I can't do this or that. Now, given that, I know a lot of web people, I know a lot of programmers and, you know, they have a different way, but you know what, they, they also can communicate. Um, but as far as um, where you were saying, being in a leadership role, so your question is, maybe I lost it a little bit here. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's just a matter of, you know, what, you know, if you had percentages or if you had just a perspective of what is the true job of the CEO or the, the key leader in an organization versus what's secondary. And so okay. you, you kind of have these two balancing acts. You know, you, yes, you have to make payroll. You have to do certain things, but you also have to take care of your people. Well, so I... So first of all, the, the, ver the role that I should be doing every day, living and breathing, the morning to night, and, and all my little to-do should be focused on the, the forward vision, mm -hmm. right? So I was always a couple quarters or three quarters ahead in my technology company. And this company, to be honest, I'm only about a couple quarters. I'm about six quarters. <laughs> okay. hey, you know, again, I'm feeling like we're, you know, moving along, moving along, and we'll get faster. Now I brought on a CFO recently, and I'm hoping that she's going to grow into my president, and that will give mm. me more of the time where I need to spend. But really, I see the C-level, you know, the CEO level is really that, where are we going next year? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we bringing on that's going to feed the next year? Where can we maybe try some new things? I mean, I'm always about that. I'll try anything, and I'll say that to marketing companies, you know, when, when I'm vetting them, we'll try, I'll put a certain, but I know a certain amount of dollars I'll put to it, and I know mm -hmm. a certain amount of time I'll put to it. But that's I'll always right. try it, because what's the worst case? It might succeed. It might cost me money, but that's okay. So I really see that. And I'm, I'm sure that's not, a, you know, it's not a new concept for C-levels, but it's about that forward vision of where you're taking everybody and they don't even necessarily know it, but you know it. Right. Yeah, that is so true. And it's, it's only at a certain point in an organization from, from the level of complexity that you even start getting into the strategy side. Yep. Yep. Well, I, I don't know if you heard yourself, Lisa, something you said I'm going to label it. I don't think I've used this phrase before, a wisdom bomb. <laughs> wisdom Good, bomb. I like it. I like and I it. Was reminded it. Of, I was reminded about a year ago, um, a friend of mine, we were talking, we were actually, we're leaders together in a nonprofit organization, and we were talking about an issue. And the phrase he used was, sometimes the best answer is to do nothing. And you alluded to that, and it reminded me of that phrase, and I always sort of keep that rolling back there, that no matter what my role is, I don't always have to do something. 
I think there's an instinct that says if something goes wrong, whatever it is, I have to take action. And there's so many elements. I think it's a great reminder that the leader's role is discernment. Mm-hmm. And some of that discernment is right now we're going to do nothing. But I think it's important to tell people, I would say it's important to tell people we're intentionally not doing anything or otherwise they'll conclude, don't you care? Don't you, aren't you worried? No, nope, are you good. are you weak? Are you not handling right. it? Like, no, <laughs> no, this I mean, is intentional. Right. And 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 you do. You know, you do tell your team and I do talk to my leadership and keep them along with me the whole way because it is another way of that OJT training again yeah. to get them in the operations and make sure they understand my values and and all of that and the company's values so I keep them, you know, in step all the way there, but it it is true and I find that I am more and more um at least as a first at least at least when it seems to be a difficulty that seems to come from nowhere, right? I mean, so a lot of things, you know, might be fueled a little bit, but when the reaction or the direction or the action of somebody doing something, when it seems to like really kind of shock me, that's when I want to um, kind of sit back, assess, like you said, Stu, and also just kind of say, let's see what the next step is before we try to force it or lead it or guide it. Let's see where it goes next. So I love, and I love hashtag wisdom bomb. I'm going to start. <laughs> yeah. And I think Great, Lisa. there's another piece of that, that you referenced in your description. And I loved it because you said it's about listening. Yes. And one of my coaching clients recently, I've been coaching her about listening because she speaks up too quickly and there's all sorts of impacts of that. But one is this, the allowance of silence. <laughs> which is an example of doing nothing. You know, there's an old saying that says, whoever speaks first loses. That feels sort of manipulative to me, but I think in leadership, it's really important because for me, leadership is more about questions than statements and my willingness to listen and let the silence linger so that people can learn and grow. And I also think sometimes, to your point, they reveal themselves in the silence. (laughs) I have a fun story. It's only a couple years old now. And it was with um, the one of the leadership of my company having a struggle, having a struggle. And I was getting ready for the meeting. We were going to meet in person. And I didn't know it might go sideways and she might walk and who knows. So I was really, you know, trying to be thoughtful about it, figure it out. And it was, and, and I had, I had this happen. It was a vision. I mean, it was a real life thing that happened. I was taking a shower and my shower head only had didn't have like the full on water stuff. And I probably been that way and I hadn't even paid attention to it. But for some reason I looked at it and I just like put my hand up there and I didn't realize when I did that, it opened up all the water just like by going over it. So I guess it's, I mean, this hard water is different for me from Seattle. So anyhow, so all of a sudden the shower was great. And it, and what, what went in my mind was give this person what they need. Mm. You know, if you just do this little thing, give them what they need. All I needed to do was that. And maybe it's that easy. And it was the best meeting. It was a wonderful meeting. Very <laughs> successful. But it was that, you know, like you said, you know, just letting them tell, you know, trying to really think it through, I think is more so the story. There's really trying to think it through of hold it. You know, who cares what the company wants? Who cares now that a goal that I wanted to have happen is not maybe going to happen? Who cares if it's going this way or sideways? It's really what's going on here. What's at the core of what's going on here? Because as we know, if you don't solve those problems within your team, they're going to continue coming back. And then, they're, and then they might bring someone else in there and then it just you know, might blow up. So you really have to figure out what is really at the root of the problem if you can. And maybe what's at the root of the problem is they don't want to be part of your team and they're not meant to be. 
Hmm. And you've got to be able to come to grips with that as well. And well, uh, sounds like you actually like people. I love, I love, <laughs> I love people and, and I, and I do, but I can tell you, I don't like all people for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, to be honest, right. And there are some, and like we know, like I've got two teenage daughters and, you know, I've told them many times you are not, not everyone's going to be your friend and not everyone's going to be nice to you. Well, they, yeah. you know, not everyone's going to be nice to you and not everyone's going to reciprocate your kindness. Right. And sometimes that's, that's a hard lesson to learn. And, but I've learned it and I know it enough that that doesn't reflect on me. I can still be <laughs> really kind to them. And if they don't reciprocate or, or, you know, understand it or show it, it's okay. I'm all right with that. I understand. I think just being willing to say, you know what, I want this person to get something out of this, even if I don't meet my goals. That, wow. I mean, that's, that's seems pretty selfless. Well, we're, it's all, it's dealing with human beings, right? And we're all different. <laughs> You're right. We're out. Yes. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. So Lisa, you referenced something else in there I think is really important, and I'm curious how you've navigated this in your leadership. You said it's important to give people what they need. And I think one of the challenges that leaders face, sometimes they're aware of it and sometimes they're not, <laughs> is I think leaders either have a fundamental belief system that you should treat everybody the same, mm. because if you don't, it's not fair, or you should treat everybody based upon who they are and what they need. But some leaders think that's unfair and they're worried about what people think. So how have you navigated that and what's your core foundation on that? That's a good point. Um, and really, I don't agree with either way, right? I don't agree <laughs> with, I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't think it's practical, to, to be honest. You know, you can't manage each person to everything that they, you know, everything they want and have them do their job the exact way they want to do it you can understand where they're coming from and actually utilize their best skills to do things. Um, there's a saying I would say along over the years, I don't care how you do it. I just care that you do it. Now that's tricky because in technology and in our programming, yeah, your, your, you know, software database has to be hundred percent error free. So yes, I care to the point that it's hundred percent error free, but do I care? And this is back when we didn't have teleworking and people didn't work on different schedules. Do I care how you got there? No. You know, if the best way for you to do it was you're, you know, right out of college and you work, you know, on your couch on Saturdays, I don't care about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, in, in working with people and managing them, I, I don't think there's, I know there's not a one size fits all, but I also think that it, it, you have to still be strong in the values of your company and the way that uh, all the different ways that you want to have the work output, which is sometimes interfacing, you know, with the clients or sometimes the, the end product. You still have to make sure that that is adhered to, you know, as a team. I mean, you yeah. still have a mission that you all work on, even though you have different team members that play different parts. It's still the objective led by the coach. So maybe mm -hmm. just kind of put it in that. So, so it's, it's, you know, as we started this, there's, there's no question that one of the most, you know, one of the, the most time um, intensive and energy intensive parts 
of being a leader has to do with the managing of the people. I mean, just no ifs, yeah. ands, or buts about it. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that, that we're wanting to talk about, of course, is your book coming up. And I'd love to hear some of the stories that you have out of that as far as some of the things that you've learned along the way of interviewing these, these top 25 or probably even more leaders in Florida. Well, thank you. And, and actually, we're putting it together. So I don't have a ton of stories, but mm-hmm. we're getting there. And basically, it stemmed from um, this idea of I would talk with people during this COVID shut-in time, and I would hear, you know, you hear everything. You hear the people, unfortunately, that are brick and mortar and closing shop. And you've heard the people that, you know, have lost their job and they're not able to, you know, fund a startup and that kind of thing. But then I heard very little of the positive changes that were mm-hmm. coming out. And I think, you know, we're all in this boat together. I think initially I, we were maybe in this a little bit when it started was, okay, when's it going to end? So I think <laughs> there was that wait and see, right? However, for our team, because we were used to driving to downtown Tampa Bay, parking, eating, running around, we lost so much of our day that all of a sudden we got back because we got to work yeah. from home. We were like, okay, well, let's take on these tasks that we didn't have charted for <laughs> maybe the end of this year. So part of that was coming up with, um, different audiences for clients, you know, different client audiences, mm-hmm. different rev- products of revenue, and just these different ways. And I'm really proud because our team put up like seven, I might have even be even more different lines of revenue and, and different programs and all wow. that since COVID. So as we started, as I started to share that, I started to talk to other business owners that were doing the same, that really did a pivot. Now we're all seeing that now, which is exciting. Like I think mm-hmm. I saw a business that is a takeout only restaurant kudos. You know, there's all of now all, all of our entrepreneur people and business owners are like, how can we make a buck with this new world? So that's all cool. But this, um, this book is to highlight any company in Florida that has done, has made those pivotal changes hmm. and then how they did it. And, you know, the, uh, when I wrote my book, the never drink coffee book, the original title was called inviting change. And I, I've always known that, that, you know, being nimble and being adaptable and changing is, was definitely a mainstay for my first technology company in terms of success. I've always had that mindset. Well, uh, that my publisher talked me out of that title. So I'm almost wondering if we <laughs> might use that title a little bit because it, it is more than, it's more than saying, I can change, I can be nimble. It's really about inviting the change or looking to the change ahead, mm. you know, looking to the change ahead and, um, is, is, is a nice, nice way to put it, I think. Yeah, good point. Okay. So what are you hearing, Lisa, in this process? You're, you're putting this project together. I'm curious about what you're hearing in terms of how much was this about leader innovation in terms mm-hmm. of the leader themselves coming up with ideas and how much like with your team, it was getting their team to collaborate in the innovation. The business owners that we've spoke to, it has been leadership business owner led. And, um, you know, so it, it has been that where the leader had a vision to say, you know, let's look at this that we've been doing for how many years, let's look at it completely differently, mm-hmm. and then let's try it. You know, um, so definitely from that point and and with our team too, I mean, actually, this is my, what it just, so we have these Friday, Monday huddles. They're oh dark, not oh dark thirty. They're now they're getting later and later in the day. Yeah, for sure. You know, they're ten o'clock in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. So we, <laughs> we you really were from the tech side, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was oh dark thirty. Um, 
but yeah, so we have these huddles, you know, Monday's huddle is more about what's on the plate for this week. What are our deadlines? Where are our clients at? What's our deliverables? How's everything going? All of that, you know, how's your weekend kind of fun part there huddles. Friday huddles are more of look back at the week. How did we do? What happened? Um, you know, what's going on this weekend? Because a lot of us still work on the weekends and that. But what I had said last Friday to happen this Friday's huddle is I said, I want us to come to the huddle with a new idea. <laughs> Great. Honestly, any new idea, whether it's a program, whether it's a product, whether it's a this or that. And actually, my new idea I came up with yesterday, just as an example. So we're going to have this business book launch in November um, at the Tampa Club. And my new idea that I just threw out in an email that I want to talk about Friday is that um, I want to have like a VIP reception before that and invite some of our, do client appreciation. We haven't really done oh, yeah. that. You know, do one. And, I, and what I said to my team is, you know, we're already paying for the you know, place. We're already paying for the money or the food. Let's just do that. So, you know, just as an idea, I want us just to kind of always be thinking as a leadership team for our huddles. What kind of new idea? Let's just start peppering it out there and start, you know, thinking about that. Hmm. So, you know, it is very deliberate, I guess, to wrap up, you know, that thought. It is it, to, to change and be adaptable and to be nimble. I think you have to be deliberate about it. I know I do. Am I thinking about that particular thing, right? Am I thinking about those kind of concepts or it just doesn't happen? We just all get wrapped up in all of our huge to-do lists on everything else. <laughs> so true. Jeff and I have actually just gone back recently and, question some of the things that we were doing say okay are we still going to do this you know because ultimately like jeff has said before every yes every no every yes you say is a no to something else yep yes yes and all we have is time right our most valuable right. asset right yeah. have or don't have so lisa in this project what are you learning i'm sure you have your own knowledge and history and experience but what are you learning from some of these stories about risk taking hmm. Because, I mean, innovation is risky. It, it not actually, innovating is also risky. That's, that's yes. right. you, don't, you just don't realize it when you're saying <laughs> no, that, yeah, you are. You, um, what I'm learning is it is about risk, that, that you take it no matter, I mean, you know, no matter the risk. I mean, you know, there's limits, of course, there. But, you know, calculated risk, smart risk, you know, analyzing what the risk would be. But it's all about risk. And, you know, I identified with myself early on. Um, that that much of my success is because I was a risk taker. I mean, I moved to Seattle. IBM transferred me there, not knowing anything. They even picked out my apartment. I didn't even, in my mind, even cared, which which surprises me. But that was a risk I took, not knowing a person. I kind of did the same thing when I moved to, to um, Tampa Bay. You know, I didn't have a place to live, didn't have a car. Um, you know, just this whole story. But I'm a risk taker, and like I said, I will try anything market wise risk-wise, risk-wise, at least, you know, one time and mm -hmm. to see, you know, it's so definitely a change maker has to be a risk taker for sure. Yeah. In fact, it, it kind of makes me think of innovation is really the safest path in so many ways. I mean, even when you get back to Steve Jobs, you mentioned him earlier, said you have to, was it him that said it? Uh, you have to cannibalize your young sounds like, that something, sounds like something Steve Jobs. Yeah, basically, you know, you're the, uh, the iPhone cannibalized a lot of the iPod sales. Um, and, you know, you, you have new versions coming out all the time that are going to eat into the sales of the prior product and so forth. So, yeah, you never, you know, it, and that's where the challenge is for change, right? Anytime that you say, oh, this sounds like a great idea, but that but comes up or say, well, hold it, what is it going to do for that division of sales? 
it's sort of um, that same idea of, I lost my train of thought for a minute. Um, it's, it's sort of that, that idea of you have to just embrace it 100%, yep. right? You have to embrace it and say, but maybe something else will come out of that that you didn't imagine, you know? And obviously it worked for the iPad versus the iPhone and the iPod and all of that. So I am curious, you talked about going to your team for this meeting that's coming up and asking everybody to come up with a new idea. And one of the things I've seen is, and the first time I really saw it was early in my business, I facilitated a strategic planning session with a very small team. And the idea was to be really creative and the CEO founder was disappointed at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. And he was disappointed because he said, yeah, this is nice, but the stuff they came up with is really not crazy. And we wanted them to get crazy. Yeah. I said, but you got to understand, they've never done this before. Hmm. You have to teach them how to innovate. How to be crazy. <laughs> Your brain, and because your brain is different than theirs. Yeah. So this is a good first step. And I said, I'm, said, I'm glad you didn't say that in the meeting. Yeah, right. Because yeah. I encouraged them and I you know, applauded them for what they come up with. But the reality is most people they're not there yet, their ideas are going to be incremental by nature. They're going to be little tweaks. And sometimes tweaks are all you need, but I think it's important for leaders to understand back to your people are very different. And I'm also curious, like how many people on your team are freaked out by this request? Uh, probably many. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Or, or it's, uh, Here's something else, some other idea that Lisa has and that, you know, um, yep. I did have that conversation with someone. I said, you know, I have to chuckle because I can't think of someone that's been in my leadership team for three years and seven months now. Um, and I, I know, because I know myself that there's been so many times I've picked up the phone in the car running somewhere saying, look, we're going to try this. I just met this person and this is going to happen and we're going to make it happen. I says, I, and I just, you know, I chuckled to myself about you know, maybe there's 30 of those, uh, but five of them have been very successful. Fine. But what does she think about of the 25, you know, that I've told her? And so I was, I mentioned that to her the other day, as I told her that, you know, 31st one or something idea. So yeah, of course, you know, the people that, um, you know, I mean, it's a different mindset, as you know, you're talking to leaders and C-levels and all the different, you know, types of people in different divisions. I mean, it's just a different mindset because you have a different job. And it's a different mindset because you have a different responsibility. Mm. Um, and, and, and I mean, to be honest, I'm like I said, tomorrow's our first huddle from when I had that idea. You know, there might be someone that doesn't come up with an idea, but, you know, and, and doesn't have anything to contribute. That's fine. I, I think it's a sound idea and we'll try it out. And I guess the thing that I, I will, I will, I'm proud of is that sometimes someone on my team will bring up a concept. In fact, we're running a very successful program right now. We're in our eighth month of this program called GWO. That was not my idea. It was someone else's on my team's initial concept. But mm -hmm. I'm proud of I took that concept and I made it what it is today, marketed it, promoted it, made it successful. It's, it's a great pro program and we're actually going to run it next year. It's been, it's been actually our most successful program. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't my idea. So that's all we need in teams, you know, as we all contribute and we throw things out. But then... Who's going to take it and really make it what it, what it needs to be and, and make it successful? That's where the leadership, I think, can come in and, and kick in. Well, I think you highlighted in that comment one of the other discernments for leaders because it's one of the jokes I make when I speak at conferences. Depending on who's in the audience, mm -hmm. if they're the more senior leaders, 
it's one joke. If they're the, if they're yeah. more of the team members, it's a different joke. And the ver- I'll, let's see who I'll put in the audience for this. So if it's the more senior leaders, I'll say something like, look, here, I know I'm a mind reader and I'm reading the mind of all of your team members. They are really conflicted while you're here. Because on one hand, some of their thinking, thank God he or she is not here and leaving us alone. <laughs> and that's going on. And they all laugh. And I said, now on the other side, they're really reluctant for you to come back, not because they don't like you, but they're really concerned you're going to come back with 400 new ideas right. and that you're going to suggest you do right. only 399 of the 400. Right. Right. Know that most of those won't stick and it's going to be that, oh my God, either they went to a conference or right. Lisa went and did her a day away to think, oh my God. <laughs> what do we have to but do that's, now? But that's what yeah. leaders have to discern because we can overwhelm our team members yeah. as well and, and not really commit to anything in that. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. when it comes yeah. down to a piece like that, you also need to look at, okay, if I'm going to ask them to do these things, I need to train them to come back to me and say, okay, now you say that you want this. What of these other things am I going to stop doing? Right, right. Right. And you have to, like we go back to, you know, I do respect the skills and experience. You know, I have someone on my team that's been in the publishing industry for 35 years. So there is quite a level of respect in when she makes, you know, gives us input where I need to step back and think about it. And, you know, there's some weight there because she's been in the industry so long. So, you know, you have to value that too. And that, you know, yes, you know, we might have these brilliant ideas. We can, I can see it. Sometimes I have an idea that I can even see the success of. So I'm that, you know, feel that strongly about it, but we need to, you know, just be as as strong as we are about that. We need to also be strong to get the, the input of the people that we surround and we trust on our team. Yeah. Well, and then you can also be the leader. Uh, also, we mentioned David Akers earlier, one of our early guests, and he was telling us that one, he has a small team, but his sort of his go-to person came to him one day and said, the team is upset. And he said, why are they upset? And they said, they're upset because of what happens when they come to you with ideas. Mm-hmm. And he said, what's going on? And he said, well, because when they bring an idea to you, you almost always say, hmm, yeah, go do that. <laughs> because they there he realized their mindset was well we're bringing the ideas to you for you to do uh, no if i like your idea yeah just go run with it and yeah. right that he said that really told him that maybe some of his team members were not the right team members yeah <laughs> well one of the other things that that we talk about liza is oftentimes we want people to step out create innovation try new things and that's what we say. And then the flip side of that is when something doesn't work out, what happens? Does somebody get blasted for it? Are they, are they, do you celebrate the failure? You know, what happens on the, on the other side? Yeah, I mean, you've got to be very careful about that, right? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't ask someone, like you said, you can't ask someone to step out or to try something new and then criticize them when it fails. Oh, you can. I mean, a lot of people do. Well, they <laughs> might, but I mean, I don't think those people are in a happy working team environment, right? right. I mean, they, you know, they will lose complete, I, I lose respect for someone that treated me that way the first time, yeah. right? I'd be like, where are you coming from? But, but I will tell you, you touched on something that um, it's been kind of in front of me with clients and team members. So it's not, it's not specific to one of them where um, I also have to understand when what I might see in a person where I might think that they will develop in a certain way, I might be wrong. 
And I need to understand that. So just, you know, as an example, right, if there's someone on your team and you want to promote them to a different level of management because you see that they have the skill, you see that they have the talent, and you think you'll, they'll be great in it, if that's not really what they want or where they want to be after they show you that, you've got to really let that go. And, and that's a hard one for me because it, it kind of is that whole mentoring type, you know, uh, that mentoring in a leader, right, where you, again, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very positive thing, um, you know, wanting the best for someone. So you think there's no negative into it. But I have learned that there's a point where you cut bait and say, you know what, that's not really what the work life is, the lifestyle that that person yeah. is. And great, don't get rid of them from being part of your client base or part of your team just because of that. Let them thrive where they're at and now let them change your mindset. So kind of where you were talking about that, you know, what do you do when they, you know, try something and that, I kind of step back for a minute to just say, well, and you also have to make sure that they're right for the, to be asked. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and as you said, almost at the beginning, just listen, mm -hmm. but you know, to ask, you know, I think a lot of leaders don't ask their people what they really want and they assume and, and ask them what fits for them. And I think, you know, we see people and I see people who I really think are great and I want them to succeed, but the truth is a lot of people want a certain lifestyle too, and they yeah. don't want what comes with that. And I know I see so many organizations that just haven't asked their people that question. They make assumptions about them and they say, well, I'm a people person. I'm a, my people are first because I'm advancing them. Well, did you ask them if they really wanted to advance? <laughs> yeah, no, you know, people at first, to be honest, so when we first started the company, I had to do this. I call the grass, grassroots marketing. And Jeff, you and I might've talked about that a little bit where, you know, I wanted to know every and every and all networking groups and all that. That was so new for me because the tech company was a different type of, of organization. So when I was doing that, and, and actually, to be honest, you know, it didn't take me long until I might go to some of them, and I might stand back a little bit in judgment thinking, that person and their company is in the same state that they were a year ago, right? The revenue levels were the same, you know, you know and it bothered me because I'm, you know, I would say I'm a woman of action, but I mean, it would just bother me, and I'd kind of be there in judgment, wrongly in judgment on that, but I think it was, you know, because I was thinking that they thought like I did. They wanted what I did, you know, and, and, you know, we all know, I mean, when you're in leadership, you do have a certain ego, right? You have a certain, you know, you believe in yourself, you believe in your company, you believe, you know, I can believe I can be Wonder Woman, that whole deal. But it doesn't <laughs> I don't think that. Mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, every successful female that I see has my same mindset. They don't. And, and yeah. right or wrong, none of it is right. None of it's wrong. We're not comparable. Everyone is different. So, mm, so true. I love that. Well, Lisa, this has been fantastic. I love what you've shared. I like most, most episodes, but this especially so, you know, it was fun. It was engaging. I learned some new things and I gave, came up with a new phrase, which I always love. You did. Wisdom, wisdom Bob. Wisdom Bob. <laughs> just, just say it, just say it. It might work. Um, you've talked about the book project. How, how can people find out more about your book project and also about now publishing and then ultimately also how do they reach out to you? Well, thank you. Thanks. So here's my mini commercial, right? So just like <laughs> our new hashtag, hashtag wisdom bomb. Yeah. If, you, if, if you hashtag now publishing, you'll see, you know, our various platforms um, and what we do. And Jeff, I appreciate that you had, you know, mentioned that we're, you know, a very innovative, different type of publishing company. And part of that is we believe in the PR. So we work uh, to sell the books, to put the books in front of the clients that are going to buy them. And that's not necessarily just on the Barnes and Noble shelf. 
you know, what's the odds that the right audience reader is walking by the shelf and states and looks at your book? So we do that. So uh, we do PR and then we also build the book from the ground up because um, I'd say 80% of our authors come with an idea for a book or some journal notes or text to speech on their phone. So we help them write the book. But yeah, now publishing would be is our company. It's called Publish With Now is our .com, publishwithnow.com. And um, if you are a company that believes that you have been a, cha a change maker or innovative or really made some pivots during the COVID time, reach out to me. An email is publish at nowscpress.com. Or again, you'll, you'll find us if you go publishwithnow.com. And uh, just reach out and we'll vet you. We'll interview you and see if you're right for the book. The book's going to come out in February. And we're really hoping it to be a very, you know, positive, um, you know, great book that you can learn something from. So, you know, always learning and growing is, is uh, yourself and, and knowledge is what we're about. Well, fantastic, Lisa. And I will tell you, I've not worked with Now Publishing. I can tell you after talking to Lisa, the next book, they're going to be my first phone call to see how it fits because I've looked at a lot. I've done publishing. I've done traditional publishing, sort of boutique publishing, self-publishing. And what Lisa shared with me about her approach, the scope of the services, the depth of the services, and then the value proposition for the investment, I have not seen it anywhere else. Awesome. In my travels. So, well, Jeff, it's about time for us to write a book. Well, man, I <laughs> well, just... Thank you, Jeff. What's next? <laughs> well, let's do the Impact Leadership book. All your nuggets of wisdom, all your wisdom bombs, hashtag wisdom bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, we, we'd love it. I just, I really appreciate talking to you guys. I love talking about this and um, it's, it's been fun. Well, at the risk of, um, well, we always like to put a bow on it with our wrap up questions and at the risk of the dangerous question of asking someone in publishing about books, <laughs> tell us about the book right. that comes to mind when you think about leadership, what's that one book that you would recommend to folks? The book I think is the most important that makes made the biggest impact on me when I read it, and I didn't read it when it came out, I read it years later, is A Purposeful Life. The Rick Warren, A Purposeful oh, yeah. Life. And, yeah. you know, I am, I am a believer. Um, and so mm -hmm. that book, you know, goes along with my values, but I really gained from that book what really is my purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And Fantastic. I feel very blessed that I not only know that for my life, but I know that I'm meant to be part of this publishing company. And I, that's, awesome. that's a, that's a, a crazy blessing right there because yeah. I didn't have that my whole life. That's fantastic. It I, is I, a great I, book. I read that as well. I yeah. read that many years ago. In fact, yeah. I remember reading it twice because yeah. I didn't get it the first time. Yeah, it was one so of those. The first time I, had to, I had to read it, yeah. and then I had to experience it. Yes, the mm, first time point. was a read. The second time was an experience. Definitely. And the, the last question, Lisa, is, and I love that you picked this one. It's about models. So who's the who's that leader model that comes to you? I'm sure there's many, but who's that one, and and why do they stand out for you? Well, before I answer that question, I'm going to preface it with that I've also been very fortunate that I had women mentors at IBM in my, in my, my very first uh, women mentor. In fact, you know how you have those security questions? One of them is, you know, who was your first mentor? Kathy Dunn. I remember her to my day, to this day at IBM. And actually, it was when I wasn't even hired on. I was doing internship. And I remembered about her was the way she was respected in a silent way. She'd come into the conference room and she would be the only woman there. And it was just a, a level of respect, a level of um, just, she just had that air about her. You know, so I learned that mentoring without her even saying anything. 
But I also had a women mentor, uh, Robin Button, who wrote the foreword for my book, who was actually my very first mentor when I started my company. And she just gave me pearls of wisdom as I was a you know, 27-year-old. I thought I was like the brainiac and I was a hotshot and all this. And she really calmed, helped me focus in um, in many ways. She was my mentor. But so the, she brought the wisdom bombs. She, she did. <laughs> Hashtag wisdom bomb. Yeah, she, she's an awesome lady. Um, but my mentor really is my father. And I was oh. very fortunate to have you know, wonderful parents that told me from, from early on I could be anything I wanted to be. And I believed them. You know, uh, <laughs> right? I did. I thought yeah, I was we're supposed to believe him. Well, that's right, right? And but my father, who is who was a uh, middle management in AT and T in Harrison, was and I would hear as a high schooler. I'll just tell you this: when I was in high school, I would hear things like, "Are you Manny Garcia's daughter?" Oh, we love your father. I mean, I'd hear that from the people he managed. Wow. So, um, but he's a very wise guy. You know, very wise person. He was just a sounding board. Even just recently, um, you know, helping me, and he's an uh, MBA. Uh, person and just just is a great business guy and a great smart guy um, that I look up to father that I look up to that's been a good mentor um, for me that's fantastic what a love lovely way to wrap this up thanks for sharing that Lisa thanks for being with us and for bringing your wisdom bombs to everyone today <laughs> that's right welcome Thank great you. to have you If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.